Welcome to Risk Roundup. The rapid advances in cyberspace are bringing complex, chaotic, and challenging time for each nation, its government, industries, organizations, and academia, in short referred to as NGIOA, in cyberspace, geospace, and space, in short referred to as CGS. As cyberspace is getting deeply embedded across each component of a nation, that is the government, industries, organizations, and academia, its crowded interconnections within and across NGIOA in CGS are catching nations off guard. These interconnections and interdependencies raises an important question on whether our current risk management framework, tools, technologies, and processes are effective in managing the security risk within and across nations' geographical boundaries in cyberspace, geospace, and space. How can we visualize and understand the complexity of cyberspace and its interconnections? In simple terms, cyberspace can be visualized as a neural network of a human brain that runs through all the components of a nation, enabling them to connect, communicate, collaborate, and function. Each connection and its interconnectedness and interdependencies within and across CGS network brings its own security challenges Managing the security risk of this complex digital neural network is vital for each and every NGIOA. The independent and interdependent cyberspace, geospace, and space brings each NGIOA-I risk, and risks are inevitable. So what are these risks, and how do we identify, understand, evaluate, and manage them? To discuss this further, I'm delighted to welcome Mark Bernard. Mark is a cybersecurity thought leader and author of the NIST Cybersecurity Foundation. Welcome, Mark. We are delighted to have you on Risk Roundup. Thank you. I appreciate being here. Thank you for the opportunity to speak to everybody. Great. Wonderful, Mark. So let's begin by talking about something very fundamental uh, to this dialogue, is that how should we define risk in the context of cyberspace and cybersecurity? You have been working in this field for such a long time. You have uh, authored so many different uh, programs for the NIST. And how does NIST define cybersecurity risk? Uh, when looking at the foundation course that was uh, created uh, last year by myself, uh, uh, leading into you know uh, following the the development of the NIST framework. Um, the way it's been defined basically is it looks as an instant response process, but uh, cybersecurity is uh, much more specific than that. It's really about the you know the data that's being processed and uh, traveling across networks uh, that are visible to the public internet, and that's where the risk really lies. And in my opinion, in order to be successful, our approach has to be able to uh, focus and scope in on where the risks are so that we can address them. I see. So you're, you're saying that it's more based on data and information that uh, travels through the internet, but it does not, from what it seems, is that it does not pay any attention to the uh, risks that arise from the potential of losing the value of the current as well as strategic entities, events, and relationships because cyberspace is fundamentally changing the business models, the you know way we do things, the way we work, the way we you know uh, socialize. Everything is changing. So the strategic you know impact on the industries, on the governments, on the governance, you know, or the business uh, management or business uh, models. Everything is changing. So. 
from what i have seen you know nist is focusing on only information security risk they like you said you know they are more focused on data and information but to me it seems that you know that's an incomplete definition about you know cyber security risk because while information security and data security is definitely important Mm. cyber security's risks are much more than that it it plays a heavy emphasis on the strategic uh, impact of on the you know nations its government industries organizations and academia because what is functional and what is effective right now may not be tomorrow because of the innovations that can come out of cyberspace or because of the cyberspace Yes, that's true, and uh, and I think it's no more evident than our approach right now. Uh, there's a lot of, as you say, uh, factors that are contributing to the the complexity and the 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 depth of the risk. Um, not to mention uh, the fact that these networks are traversing the internet. Um, they're part of the cloud uh, infrastructure, which also spans the globe, and uh, and so we have multiple countries involved we have multiple regulations and statutes and laws um, you know some of the challenges that uh, I've run into helping cloud uh, computing vendors for instance that have locations in China and India are the fact that these governments want you to send data to those data centers unencrypted so um, a lot of the customers that we have uh, are not interested in doing that so we have to implement newer technology like IP uh, v uh, sec in order to be able to encapsulate the packets of data and uh, give them little address labels so that they avoid those countries and go around them through that neural net as you like to refer to. That is very surprising that they wanted to go unencrypted. Why would they want to have unencrypted data? Don't well, they want to focus on security? Uh, it's not the it's not the companies <laughs> that want it unencrypted. It's the countries that are demanding oh, it. And the this, countries, I see. yeah, and this is adding to the complexity. Unfortunately, it's going to affect their economies uh, because a lot of businesses elsewhere in the world who use the cloud don't want to have their data anywhere near those networks in those countries. So, of course, I mean, I I don't blame them. I mean, who would want to send it uh, unencrypted? So that is, you know, that. Uh, uh, brings me to this, uh, you know, point that how do they define security? Because these nations, they don't want to have uh, encrypted data and they are focused on uh, having all the communication go unencrypted so that they can, you know, keep an eye on that. But at the same time, what is security? What is its impact on security? How should we define security? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, it gets back to like basic rules of governance and risk management, um, the entities that collect that information. I mean, I think if you look at the privacy legislation and data protection legislation, they really, you know, the full nine yards to explain, you know, this is somebody's information and here's the rules, you know, here's the nine specific rules that you have to implement. And I think that sort of approach uh, really transcends all information handling and IMIT and ICT. Uh, we need to look at the big picture, all the data. The company collects it. They're responsible for it. And then, uh, you know, my approach is basically to uh, not only identify the owners internally, but also to identify what those assets are. And, uh, you know, I'll give you an example of some small companies, uh, 300 uh, people only. Uh, they, sometimes they can have up to 6,000 different pieces of information, not all personal information. Some of it's internal. Some of it is configuration data, right? Uh, yeah. some, 
some of it's uh, strategic planning. So they have marketing strategic plans. They have competitors. They're trying to outmaneuver their competitors. Uh, that data is also of value. So these companies need to take ownership of that and then make the decisions on their own uh, governance structure and uh, risk appetite. Yes, yes, absolutely. Now, from your observation with working uh, with so many, you know, uh, clients uh, of yours and especially putting together all these uh, uh, programs that you have been, how would you evaluate cybersecurity risk from a national per perspective or an industry perspective or a business perspective? Or, you know, depending on any specific initiative that you have been working on, how do you evaluate cybersecurity risk? Well, uh, how do I evaluate it? Well, I have a, a pretty um, well thought out process. So, um, started out following uh, the harmonized threat risk assessment approach, which is was developed by federal law enforcement. And that basically gives us the ability from a risk management perspective to evaluate everything from a, a the risks associated with the server to uh, the risks associated with terrorism. Um, so we get the full scope uh, depending on where your organization is. And then I also like to use uh, the framework that was developed by the Australians and then later adopted by ISO, which is now ISO 3100. That provides a very uh, nice um, process for uh, risk management to be managed along the lines of. And then uh, added onto that, uh, onto that hybrid model, I also take a look at the uh, enterprise risk management process. So the one developed by COSO or by CAS, because the, the one thing from an operational perspective that a lot of uh, IT, IMIT, ICT people are missing is the big picture, right? Uh, yes, the, the senior executives get it, but um, in order for us to communicate to them express what the risk is in their sort of language and be able to get their support and their, you know, funding to mitigate that risk. Uh, we need to be able to express it in terms of, you know, strategic risk, financial risk, operational risk, compliance risk, and hazard, uh, hazard to humans, right? No, no, that's, I'm really glad to hear that you are taking a very broad approach and you have sort of integrated all these different frameworks that are out there. So that is really good. I'm sure that uh, your clients are benefiting tremendously from uh, the approach that you are taking. Now, cyberspace has given nations strong pressure to change how they define, understand, operate, govern, and manage their independent and interdependent security risk. So the question is, how can that be achieved when individual security of any business or any con company or any you know industry or any con country Individual security is tied to collective NGIOA security, as I say, nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia. And external NGIOA security threats have ties to internal NGIOA security threats. Cyberspace security is tied to also geospace security and space security. It's integrated, CGS, as I say. So how do we approach this? How do we define integrated, interconnected, interdependent risk. And that's what cybersecurity risk brings us, you know, uh, from cyberspace. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think you, you pointed out to a good, uh, a good uh, area that there is some complexity. Um, and we haven't really learned how to communicate um, between uh, different uh, tiers, if you like, within society. So our national governments who are mostly concerned with, uh, you know, the protection of their economies and their people. 
Um, so they deal with risk at a different level. And um, so, and they have all the authority, really. They can put up a firewall around your country and not let anybody, you know, send data in or out, which could really dramatically affect how, you know, commercial enterprises uh, run their operations. And, and that's where the disconnect is, right? So um, commercial entities are trying to do the best they can. Um, uh, and implement security. Some are better at it than others. Some uh, go with, you know, the legal, uh, the lawyer uh, legalese. Uh, you know, they only implement what they need to, so they call it commercially acceptable uh, security, and uh, so they kind of frame it like that. Um, but some other countries and other companies, especially cloud uh, vendors, because they're really um, concerned, right? A lot of these cloud vendors provide. A platform and infrastructure to governments, uh, to not just private sector, but to also foreign enterprises. So, so they have to kind of tippy toe around the legislation and the law, and it's really uh, it's getting uh, pretty strict. So, I, I think uh, right now what I'm seeing is uh, last year we saw uh, President Obama, um, you know, initiate uh, three or four laws at the beginning of the year, and then there was about 15 different bills that got initiated so we expect expect that pretty soon uh without the you know the granting of the government's uh, authorization you won't be able to send data outside of the country it could get that bad i i'm not sure that's it's bad though so like you said um it's a big it's a big thing right and it's not just the globe because you also talked about space like and i presume that you're talking about you know like the universe as we move off to different planets, this cyberspace world is going to be extended out to yeah. those other planets, right? So. Yes, yes, absolutely. Because see, uh, computer core and connected computers and internet has connected everything. Our space satellites and, you know, uh, how we do things. And uh, in the coming years, it's going to be much more complex, you know, interconnectedness. So, yes, it is a challenge. Now, uh, the security concept is currently being subjected to big changes in respect to its aims, capabilities, sources, connectivity, and the dimension of threats. In the new era of cyberspace and digital global age, the security threat has no visible front, border, or armies. I mean that the challenge for decision makers, irrespective of nations, its government, industries, organizations, academia, is to determine what security risk they face in the cyberspace and the rapidly changing digital global economy independently and collectively and how much uncertainty they are exposed to and forced to accept as they strive to survive, sustain, grow, develop and advance. So the current uncertainty broadened by the cyberspace and the digital global age presents both security risk as well as strategic opportunity to each component of NGIOA with the potential to erode or enhance nation's value independently and collectively. So how do we deal with such uncertainty and does NIST provide any guidelines to deal with this kind of, you know, humongous uncertainty if I, you know, say? Um, I you know, I, when I look at the NIST and I hear what you're saying, uh, so a friend of mine, he's a professor of uh, microeconomics, and uh, he and I have talked about the impact of cybercrime on our economy and stuff. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at is, you know, how do we protect against that? Um, I don't see anything in the NIST framework that's going to be able to do that for you. So it's going to have to take some additional uh, intelligence uh, or uh, knowledge in order to be baked in 
to that. I think the approach is really the key. And I think for me, it's the connection between, you know, the operational level of security and, and the, uh, the enterprise risk management approach. And um, we need to really evaluate what is the impact of lost data. What is the impact if one of our customers or our suppliers get breached? What is that impact to our organization? Because I don't think that's really been done very well yet. And uh, I'm not sure that NIST is even the right person, the right group. They, they developed some beautiful standards uh, for us to follow. A lot of intelligence goes into those standards, um, but they're not the regulators, right? And I'm not sure if the Federal Trade Commission are the right people either, because they would be the other body that I would think that might get involved because it is related to business and the economy and how we play fairly in the sandbox together. Um, but it's huge, yeah. And uh, the risks are huge too because as that network speeds up and they're working on speeding it up and speeding it up, the potential for a worm to get released into that network uh, and to exploit all the vulnerabilities that are out there. And, and let's face it, uh, if we look at things like uh, current uh, antivirus software, and I've been tweeting this out for a while. If anyone follows me, they'll see it out there. I've been saying, you know, the software that we develop is really the core of our problem because the vulnerabilities and the defects in that software have allowed hackers and have allowed, uh, you know, malicious uh, governments, foreign agents to get access to our information, but it has not been regulated. So you're absolutely right. I mean, we just had a session uh, on security first architecture where we discussed the same things that, you know, the software, uh, manufacturer, I mean, uh, software developers or you know even the uh, corporations that you know uh, outsource software development they are in so much hurry to get the functionalities that nobody pays attention to the security and that's there is a all the vulnerabilities come from there because you know security is not the priority for the architecture when they are defining how to you know go forward with the software so sooner or later that liability is going to come to the software you know uh, industry because you know they are not developing uh, secure software and that is where you know we need to pay address the security risk and as you said correctly that that is uh, something very very critical and we need to pay attention to that and uh, some regulators you know probably need to come out and define uh, some regulations and you know uh, create regulations that would, you know, make the software developers more responsible and not rushing, you know, so much that, you know, they just want their software out, you know, and make some money out of uh, rapidly, you know, developments in this industry and not worry about the security, you know, uh, risk that it brings to each and every one of us. Yeah, and, and software is, is one of the parts. So software amounts for about, uh, it used to be about 75% of known vulnerabilities and a lot of those get, uh, for the people, for the organizations that participate, they send those over to the Common Vulnerability and, Expo and uh, Exploitation Database. So tools that are used like for PCI compliance, um, like Nessus, it relies on that database uh, to find vulnerabilities in the payment card industry, right? But um, speaking as a former uh, Red Team member uh, for IBM, I can tell you that 
that that that percentage is shrinking, right? So the effectiveness of antivirus and our knowledge of known vulnerabilities is diminishing quite rapidly now uh, because we're seeing thousands of new vulnerabilities every day. So the undetectable ones is really, there's a number of organizations that are out there trying to come up with a method of how do we detect something that's gone wrong. And this really gets back to housekeeping. So how does IMIT and how does ICT do their housekeeping? Um, and it's in some organizations, it's not very good. Um, I know the UK government a few years ago, they came out with ITIL because they were having trouble with their suppliers not following proper security protocols and, and not being able to provide services effectively. And it was costing a lot of money. So they came out with these 11 procedures that they would have to implement and certify against. Yes. So that's it. Solves part of the problem, but in order to be able to detect anomalies within your infrastructure, you really need to implement uh, a higher level of standard that a lot of organizations can't. Like for instance, the four Qs. Um, so the four Qs come out of total quality management process. Uh, it's uh, installation qualifications, operational qualifications, design qualifications, and performance qualifications. And what that does is it's four tiers of a security standard, basically. So you say, what does my manufacturer tell me about implementing this device or this piece of software? Okay, so you put that in the standard. And then it tells you, well, what do I need to do as an organization? Because I have customers, they expect our business to be run this way, so we have certain configuration requirements. So that goes into the standard. And then there's the, the, the overall design, so pulls in the requirements from the customer and applies those to the standards. So now you have three tiers. And then the fourth one is performance. A lot of uh, companies are claiming that they're doing uh, heuristic monitoring uh, for anomaly detection. But to be honest with you, you can't actually do that unless you have the four Qs defined. And I seriously doubt that unless you're a pharmaceutical organization and you're regulated by the FDA, you probably don't have it. Yes. Yes, now that is that is a challenge. I hear your uh, what you're trying to say on that. And now, at the same time, you know, the traditional notion was so far that security is a government affair, and the digital globalization made security an NGIA affair. Means it is everyone's affair now. Security, each individual or an entity within any component of a nation has a role to play in ensuring security, irrespective of terrorism or any other critical challenge facing a nation. The security risks have interdependencies and while entities may think that it does not impact their bottom line, each risk that has interdependencies, irrespective of pharmaceutical industry, energy industry or any industry, does impact each and every component of an NGIOA. And that is where the challenge is that, you know, how can we develop a framework that would work for everyone, where everyone can get involved into risk identification, irrespective of whether it's cyberspace risk or risk coming from geospace, that is, you know, uh, our physical space, or, you know, it's coming from space. How do we define a structure or a framework where we all can get involved into risk identification, risk evaluation, and risk management, where we can make everyone accountable. So that is the framework where I see lagging because uh, because of the cyberspace, the nature of risk has evolved in not only cyberspace, but also geospace and space. So uh, what would you tell to our global viewers and listeners as to the complexity of risk they are facing today due to cyberspace? and the seemingly lack of you know effective 
framework that can help us identify the integrated and interdependent risks that we all are facing. Yeah, the you know, uh, I love NIST, but you know, there's always just there's only one framework that I've learned uh, over the last 27 years that I follow to that degree, and that would be ISO 27001. And for me, that one is uh, it's very modular, it's very scalable, and I can apply it to basically any situation. I think in your earlier comment uh, about how you know uh, political or national security is uh, you know kind of at odds they're responsible, the government's responsible for that, but how does that filter into the cybersecurity world? Um, it's a big challenge because you gotta remember that um, as security has evolved, the sort of concept of it, it's always been a challenge for uh, the physical security world to recognize the uh, information security world and the intelligence aspect of it. And now we've kind of blown past physical security, right, with cybersecurity. No longer can you put up a razor wire fence around your property and say that you're now secure or, you know, deploy guards around your property, armed guards and say, okay, we're secure. Nobody's going to get in or get out. We're fine. You know, you can't do that in the cyber world, right? Because the fact of the matter is, as long as you have a line or now a wireless access point that goes outside of your office, you are vulnerable, right? Right, right, right. So you need to know how to deal with that. And from a risk management perspective, it's about you know us risk managers being able to quantify it in terms that the managers and the executives understand it so that they can make the decision. I don't think that they're all ignorant and I don't think that they're negligent. I think it's our problem that we have not defined it correctly for them yes. so that they can do the right thing. And they will do the right thing because it's their company, it's their organization, right? Yes. But, but if they... If they don't, you know, the government is going to slowly but surely tighten that noose around their work, and uh, it'll it'll make it more difficult for them. So they need to step up. Right, right. Now, you made a point about the ISO that, you know, you find is very effective. But my challenge with that is that it still does not define a effective framework for, it doesn't provide the framework for identifying and evaluating and managing the interconnected and interdependent risk. It focuses on the definition of an enterprise, very narrow. Enterprise now is, you know, very broad. It is, you know, not part of one nation or one industry. It is part of, you know, multiple industries. Enterprise can be, you know, part of multiple industries and multiple nations. So there is no effective way that ISO provides in my you know, assessment to identify interconnected interdependent risk or to you know how to manage that. And it focuses pure more on you know reactive response than rather than proactive. And at the same time, there is also focus more on you know transfer of risk than you know uh, prevention of risk or managing risk. Do you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so you hit on a number of good topics there. We could go down each one of those. So I'll try and uh, see if I can recall them. So, um, you know, I have to disagree a little bit because I do. I'm I'm a big fan and supporter of myself because I think it does. And I've worked with organizations um, around the globe who has in locations around the globe, and they work with other supply chains, right? And and it all starts with, you know, the very first step is to define what are the, the regulations and the statutes and the legal obligations that you have to follow. And then mapping those into the framework 
from an information handling perspective. So there's, I have yet to see any statute or regulation that cannot be addressed that way because compliance risk on the executive's mind is one of the biggest, you know, potential areas of challenge if they run into a regulator that won't let them do business in a certain area because they haven't followed the rules, right? So that's a that's a big risk. So putting that, you know, dealing with that and putting that away, then one of the other points that you raised was, well, uh, the transfer risk. So I think you're an experienced risk manager, so am I. We know that risk can't be transferred 100%. It's impossible. If I've worked for governments and, and uh, government suppliers, and I know that, you can write it in the contract and say, okay, if something goes wrong, you're going to be responsible. But at the end of the day, the newspaper article goes up and it says the ministry of blah, blah had a breach. And this is the minister that's responsible. So it always comes back. Right. And it's the same with enterprises. We see so many CEOs now, which is a new trend, losing their jobs because they've had a breach. So we can't uh, effectively transfer. So what do we do? Well, the next thing is how do we manage this? So we need service management. We need to define what the risk is first. And before we do that, we need to define what the requirements are for our organization, then define what the risk is that's associated with us outsourcing that service or depending on somebody to provide a certain piece of software or hardware so that we can build our product for market, right? So that supply chain needs to be defined and the risks that's associated with that. And then we need to have like a full scale service management uh, going on over that. Um, the risk won't be eliminated completely, but at least we'll have our eyes on it and it'll be on the radar and we'll be managing it. So when something does blow up, um, not seriously blow up, but that's a bad word to use these days. Yeah, but Mark, Mark, do you hear what you just told me that, you know, the ISO's focus is more on the existing regulations across nations <laughs> and more on the compliance. They, they are focused heavily on compliance to meet the regulatory, you know, compliance. Uh, and uh, if you, I mean, you are in this uh, risk management business, you know that if you look at compliance risk, financial risk, operational risk and legal risk, that constitutes only about 24 to 25% of the overall risk portfolio. The rest is strategic risk. And I don't see in the ISO framework anywhere how you can effectively manage strategic risk. That's where we see, you know, all these challenges happening, you know, across nations and industries that uh, how the Ubers and how the Amazons and Netflix and everyone is fundamentally transforming the business models. And the, before you know, if people are not industries and businesses are not paying attention to their current business model or their current products or services, in a very short time, you know, it's going to be fundamentally, you know, be obsolete because they didn't even get time to think about it. They focused on these frameworks that tells them to focus on compliance risk and all that. Whereas if you want to really focus on the risks that are coming from, you know, cyberspace, cybersecurity risk, you need to focus on the strategic, you know, risk. That is where the biggest, you know, effort should be. And none of these frameworks provide that. Well, um, okay. So to be fair to you, yes. So a framework, I agree. So a framework is really designed uh, like ISO. It's just a baseline. So we have, you know, seven, 8,000, 10,000 information security professionals looking at the standard and putting in their thoughts and creating it just a baseline. 
right? So where we start from. And then it's up to us and our intelligence to be able to move that beyond that frame beyond that baseline beyond that framework and um yeah and that's why i've kind of taken the approach of building a hybrid risk management process and that's what i encourage my uh, my clients to follow is you know you have to have your eyes on what's important to the organization so those strategic risks that you talk about um imit and ict uh, unless you're a vp or a director you probably are not even aware of those types of risks, right? Um, and then you might see them because they come down in the annual report or the quarterly reports. Um, and it's your job as that CISO or that VP to be able to map what's important to the organization, to what we're doing and building that roadmap for the future, right? So the ISO standards and the NIST uh, cybersecurity framework only provide us with the baseline to get that going and move it forward, right? They don't solve the problem. It's up to us. It's still human intelligence in charge here. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I do hear your point on that. I mean, there there is a need for these frameworks to help the organizations or entities across NGIA, you know, manage their compliance risk, legal, operational, and so on. But there is also bigger need for a framework which I would say should be focused on, it should be security-centric risk management framework that would provide a new understanding of security, a new approach to security, that would provide key security risk principles and concepts, a common security risk language and clear security risk direction and guidance that has an ability to identify and integrate security risk in cyberspace, geospace, and space. And I hope that, you know, we develop a framework like that and uh, more than you know we develop that i hope that it's effectively implemented across nations because we do need a global standard around that what are your thoughts um yeah that would be interesting uh, if somebody does come out uh, with a standard like that like nato um, I know I was I was invited last year to go to Turkey to talk to a group uh, in uh, in NATO there at their Center for Cybersecurity Excellence, and um, there are people looking at it. But again, uh, there's that conflict between you know uh, the military is getting involved and the and the government and law enforcement, and their their perspective of risk is different than perhaps. Ours. I mean, I'm a pure uh, information security guy. Um, I see the data. I see the information. I see the knowledge when I look at data and I say, what is the value to your organization? And wherever that data travels, what are the risks that it gets exposed to, you know, uh, based on classification, time sensitivity, um, those regulations that helps us set sort of the security standards around encryption and stuff. Um, so I, I think if you do follow an information security approach to cybersecurity, that you will be on pretty solid ground because that's what it's all about. It's always about the information. We're not trying to protect the infrastructure um, because we've got tanks to do that, right? Uh, we're not trying to um, protect, uh, you know, cyberspace uh, equipment uh, because it can be replaced. But the data that transcends over those cables, whether they're under the sea or in the air, that is what we're trying to protect. And that should be the sole focus of the risk management processes. What is that piece of strategic information worth to your company and how much risk mitigation should you be applying to that? 
But Mark, sitting in any corner of the world, just with a laptop, now people, hackers or anyone can effectively destroy a critical infrastructure in geospace. You are saying we are not protecting, you know, infrastructure, but we are, you know, protecting infrastructure. It is all integrated now. So cyberspace, information data, that is just a very small component, I would say. Because of the ability to transfer information to, you know, release a code, a computer code, or, you know, whatever program you have created to destroy some physical infrastructure in cyberspace or geospace. That means someone sitting in probably, you know, Afghanistan or, you know, Iraq, they can, you know, release uh, a program uh, that would destroy uh, our critical in energy infrastructure in Texas or anywhere. So how can we, you know, say that, you know, these frameworks, how can we be confident that these frameworks that we have currently are effective in managing all those kind of security risks. Everything is interconnected now. I, I think what I am saying is that the underlying premise of the need for security-centric risk, cybersecurity risk management framework that I am you know, uh, promoting and proposing is that in the interconnected and interdependent digital global age, no entity within any NGIOA can effectively manage their security risk independently. Even if an entity manages its private independent security risk independently, the interconnected and interdependent risk facing them will undermine the isolated and independent risk management effort and program and make the entity vulnerable to catastrophic events. What we have is not good enough. Yeah, it's, it's still maturing. I, I'm not so sure that we don't already know what needs to be done. Uh, so I think we do disagree a little bit there. But I, I think what the problem is, is that not everybody's on board, right? Because if everybody was, I mean, you look at a country like Japan who has over 7,000 ISO certified companies. Um, I'm betting that, you know, if you tried to unleash a Stutnex on their infrastructure, that you would have a difficult time of getting that to the nuclear power plant because it just wouldn't happen. Unlike Iran, where, you know, a lot of the guard is down, they're not really considering uh, protecting the infrastructure for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, the U.S. and Israel designed Stutnik. They sent it across and, and it started a meltdown of that, uh, of that nuclear facility. So I hear what you're saying about you can unleash anything from almost anywhere. So you really need to get back to, you know, one of the more traditional uh, approaches, which is the defense in depth, right? So you have gateways. People just can't get direct access, right? But you have to, again, map the data. So you look at your asset, you find out where it's traveling, right? And you find out what are the risks and who are the threat agents. And then you build uh, your, your defense in depth, based on where your threats are coming from and how to identify them. There are people who are motivated. Uh, you know, on my little, I have a little, I don't know if you've seen it, but I have um, a scorecard for threats, for vulnerabilities, and I evaluate each one on like five, you know, critical points. Uh, and when I look at threats, you know, at the top of the list are government agents. Because if you take a government like North Korea, right, and you say, um, you know what, they have enough money, they could build a, uh, you know, a supercomputer or a quantum computer, um, which could crack, you know, the, the most longest password or encryption like in seconds, right? Um, 
could they get into a country like the U.S., get in through the supply chain and get into one of the manufacturers of a, a nuclear silo or a missile? I mean, anything's possible, but the only way to defend against that is to recognize that organization and that supply chain needs to be able to recognize that there is a threat out there um, and they are motivated, right? They want to disrupt things and they want to be seen on the national stage. So how do we prevent them from doing that? And then we need to, you know, again, start with the framework, right? And get those people on board and those executives and those managers and make it a priority at the boardroom that security is considered as part of that process. Yes, yes, I, I think, you know, uh, we agree to disagree on this point that the frameworks that we have currently are effective in helping us identify, evaluate and manage the cybersecurity risk. The integrated and interdependent, my, my concern has always been the lack of focus on identifying and managing the integrated and interconnected and interdependent risk. I had a dialogue with NIST also. And their uh, their response was that you know they are not concerned about the interconnected interdependent risk because they have taken accepted it that this this risk exists and they will be there but there's nothing we can do about it but that's where I think you know my approach is different that there is something we can do about it there is something that we can develop and effective you know integrated interconnected uh, security centric risk management framework we can develop that we can make everyone accountable and we can manage integrated interconnected interdependent risk but uh, i am just one voice so let's move to another point now identifying and understanding cybersecurity risk is one thing and managing it effectively is a whole another thing Cyberspace has brought each and every entity a liability due to security risk brought to assets in CTS that may or may not belong to them. So amidst that the big question today is how can any entity within any NGIOA across nations ensure cybersecurity liability individually and collectively if I am an entity and uh, I have identified some cybersecurity risk that I cannot manage on my own because it's not within my capability or power. How do I ensure that? And are, would those kind of you know, policies be available to ensure those kind of cybersecurity risk? Yeah, for me, it gets back to the legal obligations, right? So I think you know, there's uh, our, our sort of our social conscious side where we would like to see things improve, but when it gets down to it, you know, it's what the judge decides at the end of the day, right, where the liability is. So uh, to identify what those risks are, you need to be able to un uh, really understand your enterprise, understand your organization, um, what kind of information assets it's handling and where those information assets are going and where are the associated risks with those assets. Uh, and then we need to uh, get into the procurement process and be able to define when we do our RFPs, our RFIs, we need to be able to define what our requirements are for managing the risks. Uh, now, traditionally, what we've done uh, is we've written contract language uh, that you will follow the laws governed by the enterprise where it's been based. That's sort of really old school. Uh, but the, the more newer, the more modern approach is to be able to take the law of the land, so take the law 
uh, of uh, you know compliance with uh, FISMA or or FedRAMP and write that into a schedule and put it into your contract and then tell the organization who's going to provide you with support, here's what you got to follow. And we'll, we'll be auditing that on a regular basis, right? So, so that's another approach, but I, I even like to take a more of a risk management based approach. And that is to be able to create service levels that are based on risk management and and then have regular discussions with these people so that the dialogue the communication is open so we know if there's a problem they're addressing it so that we have some level of confidence right that it's being treated um that i, I don't see that often i've done it with the government and a few private uh, commercial enterprises but it's not done that often because some of the things i look for is that you know i don't want you just to treat the known vulnerabilities in your organization but if a zero-day exploit uh, gets announced today, I want to know that you realize that based on our risk management methodology, that's like a priority one, and you need to fix that within the next four hours, right? So you can't write that, can't really write that into a contract, but what you can do is you can put it into a uh, an SLA, and you can ask them to to treat that within that time and then you can follow up with them and look for the evidence right to make sure and if they don't then you have financial penalties right and and that always gets the attention of the board <laughs> right right no I, I hear you on that but see my concern is that let's say any organization uh, they can manage the independent risk themselves for example uh, any organization process is to manage their internal digital networks but interdependent risk, for example, interorganizational information systems essentially physically connect firms' IT infrastructure via the internet and expose the participating firms to network-wide security risk. An organization's network is at risk if a hacker gains access to its partner network. Even firms without close business relationships may be logically interdependent. So strategic hackers often evaluate the security level of firms. They evaluate each of their partners and vendors and select their targets on the basis of whose systems are the weakest and whose systems yeah. they can break into quickly without yeah. being detected. So these are the interconnected, interdependent risk I'm talking about, and we don't have a way to manage that. So um, my concern is how do nations manage both these kind of you know interdependent risk while managing the i mean I, they cannot manage on their own so there needs to be an entity who has to focus on managing this kind of interdependent risk and in my uh, assessment that there is no one better than you know insurance industry to manage this kind of interconnected interdependent risk because Cyber insurance market is still very, I mean, uh, in early stages, their insurance companies are still trying to figure out, you know, how to insure what kind of cybersecurity risks are insurable and how to, you know, uh, in, uh, create policies that they can, you know, offer to their clients. I feel that, you know, if insurance industry uh, goes back to its, you know, original standards of why, how they were creating policies and standards, um, back you know a couple of hundred years back and if they go back to the that approach then you know they can easily manage cyber security risk they can effectively tell every client of theirs that if you you need to have a very effective security centric risk management framework you know established within your entity and you need to be very focused in you know 
that approach and you know managing all your independent risk yourself only the risk that you cannot manage on your own the ones that are interdependent interconnected you can purchase insurance policies for that but you cannot purchase insurance policies for the independent risk that you can manage on your own so i think if this is how it's created if the insurance industry takes a role an active role in managing the interconnected interdependent risk then i think they can bring a very positive difference into the cybersecurity market but we'll have to see you know how it goes forward i'm trying to talk to the executives of insurance industry to you know get their response on that but we'll see you know how it goes forward but what do you say of this approach what i'm proposing uh well um i think so i worked for an insurance company once <laughs> and they're really in the business of making money <laughs> right oh, this, this will make them money there is uh, this has nothing yeah. to do with not making money about this but the problem with them is some of them are a little bit uh queasy they saw what happened with sony right um and when zurich went to court and tried to get out of the policy because it was 177 million dollars yeah. in breach yeah. right so uh, I think we might see some more of that. I think um, I don't think the insurance companies uh, have the big have the whole picture. Understand it? They want to make some money from this. They know there's risks. And um, one of my good friends actually is a chief actuary for the insurance company I work with. Okay. So so they have they have plans, you know, on how they can make some money from this and protect, maybe add some level of protection, but. For me, it's it's not very effective. So this is insurance is sort of the what happens after something's gone wrong, right? So it's uh, it's I, I don't think it's going to encourage the kind of behavior you know that you know PCI is for instance trying to encourage with people who handle payment cards, right? They're trying to regulate that industry, right? And right now they're under investigation by the FTC uh, because of that sort of their dominance of that industry, but. Um, Regardless, what they're trying to do is, is regulate it by enforcing standards. So if the insurance companies came out and said, you know what, you can get this insurance policy um, if you don't have any cybersecurity. Uh, it'll cost you a billion dollars, right? <laughs> or you can get this policy for 500 million if you have achieved at least like an ISO or a NIST CFS level so that we at least know that you're being audited independently and that you have some kind of security framework in place. You know, I, I, to be honest with you, I always thought that, you know, the most obvious choice if you wanted to regulate cybersecurity would have been uh, the big four consulting firms uh, just because they are dealing with financial information. Now, if they, if they just, kind of change their mindset a little bit instead of looking at it as dollars and cents and you know accruals and balance sheets and if they actually looked at that and said that that is information that has a value to us okay has a value to the organization where does that information travel to because they're the people who have to come in every year do the annual reviews so that uh, they can issue so the chief financial officer can issue his certificate saying that the books are balanced and that everything is good they already deal with the information why not just expand that a little bit they could deal with the privacy uh, data make sure that that's being protected and there's other assets you know there's customer lists there's patents in the organization that have tangible value there's lots of different kinds of information in the organization I'm not a big fan of the big four 
but I'm just saying that that seems to me would be the most logical avenue to kind of pursue. But the financial data, of course, the audit, I hear you on that. But what if, uh, do they have uh, the expertise in, uh, or do they, uh, do, not expertise, of course, they have expertise, but do, do they have a focus on understanding the blueprints of the organization, their intellectual property and uh, their designs and all that? Because those are the ones that are, uh, right now are targeted by a lot of hackers and even nation states because they want to take the intellectual property and you know sell it in the either black market or you know try to develop something for the nation you know based on that uh, data that they have received so how do we protect that i think well i think the auditors are the best people i think for a long time i know you've been in business for a while yourself the internal auditor was often seen as the sort of the person that knew everything about your business, right? So if you wanted to make some improvements somewhere or something, the best person to talk to is not the enterprise architect, it's the internal auditor because he actually gets to see everything in the organization, right? And um, so are they equipped? Um, do they have the right mindset? Because that's the biggest concern for me because it's like the physical security people trying to get them to do cybersecurity, like at Homeland Security. Yeah. Um, if you don't have the right mindset and the right focus, things can go a little off track, yes. let's say, okay? So you need to make sure that you keep the eye on the prize, it's information, um, what's the value to the organization. So some of the organizations, like uh, I don't want to name drop, but you know, you look at PwC, right? Mm -hmm. So they actually do have, they've become registers. So they actually um, review and audit uh, organizations around the globe for ISO 2700 conformity. So they are, they are doing that. And not just that, the part that I like about what they've done, and I'm not a fan or employee of them, I don't make any money from them at all. But, this is just but, a pure dialogue and analysis. Yeah, but the thing that I like about them, more than a lot of other organizations, is they don't only, um, they don't only talk the talk, they walk the walk. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite lines from The Matrix, I don't know if you watch The Matrix, but it's, you know, um, where he comes in and he says, you know, it's, it's one thing to know the path, but to walk the path is different, right? And so for an organization who's going to pretend, let's say, to be a cybersecurity organization that's going to help govern and manage cybersecurity, I think the first thing they need to do is they need to get certified by yeah. a framework, by a standard. And uh, if you look at the landscape right now, 90% or probably even higher, 95% don't do that. Like PCI, for instance, Visa and MasterCard, I bet you if you went to their offices, you would find out that they don't follow PCI, and which is kind of sad because to me that's like corruption, right? It's like do what I tell you to do or else I will punish you, but I'm not going to follow that standard, right? But don't we see that everywhere? I mean, across every nation we have this challenge, you know? What yeah. we are told to do is not what, uh, you know, people who are telling us what to do, they are following that. So that is a very common uh, challenge. And I, I agree with you on the need for common standards and the need for uh, auditors can play a role. I, I hear your point on that. Uh, so let's see, you know, uh, going forward, you know, what kind of changes we see across nations and how nations collectively uh, agree on a common standard and you know common uh, framework and common way of managing cybersecurity risk. Now it seems that you have authored the NIST Cybersecurity Foundation and practitioner courses. Would you like to share that information about the course with our global viewers and listeners? 
Uh, yes, uh, well, I, I can, sure. Um, so I, I partnered with an organization based in, uh, in Europe and uh, last year, and we developed the foundation course for the NIST cybersecurity framework. Um, so you can go to IT Paneers if you're interested in that. Uh, it's also offered as a white label product. So if you're an organization who wants to put your own brand on it and, and sell it, so be it. We, we do that, right? Um, now, the practitioner course is something that I've been doing on my own. So that's something that I offer at my own uh, uh, location. And you can come and find out more information about that at my website, which is www.secureknowledgemanagement. Uh, and uh, you'll find me there because knowledge is what it's all about. <laughs> yes, knowledge is what it's all about. You're absolutely right. So, uh, Mark, thank you so much for uh, sharing uh, almost an hour of your valuable time to discuss this very critical, you know, uh, securities that we all are facing because of cyberspace and in cyberspace. So, this is a very critical, you know, most critical risk right now. Probably, I would say that everyone is facing across nations. And uh, I'm sure our global viewers and listeners uh, would benefit tremendously from what you had to say. Although we disagreed on, you know, some key uh, areas about how to manage the interconnected, interdependent, integrated uh, cybersecurity risk and what focus should be on. I mean, uh, my uh, approach is that there needs to be more focus on strategic security risk because of the you know changes that cyberspace is bringing to each and every nation each and every government governance models i mean digital government will happen in the coming you know days and months and years and the way we govern is going to fundamentally change same thing you know industries are going to go through such fundamental changes and if we are not prepared then you know the what we have created you know in geospace right now in our nations uh, would be at uh, critical risk and uh, is going to be a huge impact on the economy and so many job losses and all because now the innovations are not coming just from within your nation or within your industry or within your sector. They're coming from anywhere in the world. A lot of these innovations that are like Netflix and Amazon and Ubers and all, they are not from within the industry. They are fundamentally they have fundamentally changed the landscape of how the industries operate or how things are done. And if we are not thinking, you know, from that perspective, then I think we all will be facing uh, critical risk in the coming months and years. And that's where my uh, my focus is on the cybersecurity risk, that we need to have a framework that, you know, encompasses all these challenges. But I hear you that we have a baseline uh, and we need to, you know, work with that for now and uh, of course we have to work with that now and that's uh, we have to meet our compliance and regulatory uh, requirements also but uh, mark thank you so much for uh, sharing your thoughts um, and uh, i'm sure as we go forward if there are some risks that we identify where you would be uh, you know able to shed more light and you would be able to uh, share your input based on work that you are doing then i hope that you are willing to come on risk roundup again and uh, have this dialogue with us uh, so that we can you know the global community can benefit from you know what we are discussing be my pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me, uh, Jay Shri. Uh, appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. So across nations, there are many frameworks and processes for managing cybersecurity risk. The challenge is that none of the widely used and adapted frameworks can effectively manage interconnected and interdependent security risk facing NGIO and CGS. Organizations like NIST are working towards establishing frameworks and processes 
To effectively manage the security risk of the digital global age, the challenge is that this work is done in silo. While some nations have adopted NIST guidelines and frameworks, the interdependencies necessitates collaboration and cooperation to develop a security-centric risk management framework that is accepted at all levels across nations. Risk groups, Cybersecurity Risk Research Center, and Strategic Security Risk Research Center are created to identify, evaluate, and manage the risk facing NGIOA and CGS. So let's manage the existing and emerging risk together. For more information on the risk roundups, to watch the risk roundup videos or to hear the risk roundup podcast, please go to riskgroupllc.com. Do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayashree Pandya, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.